Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Oregon Bridge. This is Alex and Ben. In my view, there is a world in which we at the state level can look at somebody and say, that's a really good person who should win elected office. Do you actually think Republicans can win in Oregon statewide as someone who supports Donald Trump? And if so, <laughs> what is that pathway? It yeah, I raises think, the question. Yeah, I think, I think if you're running on the statewide level, you have to support Donald Trump. There's the left, right, conservative, liberal, whatever. And that's like, how much government do you want in your life? And then there's also the crazy, not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, everybody. Thanks so much again for joining. Today, we have our first ever collab podcast with the Rational Republicans. And the Rational Republicans are Nick and James. Uh, they introduce themselves in the podcast, which is a little bit different than how we do things, just because uh, we did this collab for the first time. Uh, but just kind of general overview, the Rational Republicans are literally considered themselves to be rational. Uh, they don't like people who are, quote unquote, far right or Trumpers. Ben, what did you think? Uh I loved it. I had a great time. I'm gonna be honest. I thought it was super fun. It was the first time we recorded it's fantastic whiskey too. <laughs> yes, we uh, we were drinking whiskey. Uh, we recorded in person. First time we recorded in person, and um, just like the exp the experience of recording the podcast was way more fun in person. Like we it was way funnier. There's a lot more jokes in this episode because the timing's not awkward. Where like your joke is two seconds too late on the other person's computer. And then everyone's just like confused. Um, so the, the process itself was really good. I also thought the conversation was very good. It was, it's great to be in a room where Republicans are fighting with each other. I just really enjoyed that <laughs> dynamic. Um, I did reveal at the end of the episode, my favorite Republican of all time, uh, as did uh, Mr. Titus here. So that was good, but you know, it was, we... it was Trump spoiler. <laughs> it wasn't Trump. Was it? was barren that's what you said <laughs> <laughs> no i meant you uh anyway we talk about portland we talk about homelessness we talk about taxes um big tech we talk about big tech we cover a lot of ground we we kind of expose the 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 places where our thesis and their thesis don't align in terms of how to understand and operate in today's political system in oregon uh, i think it's a great episode titus what do you think yeah, it was good. It was uh, it was fun to hash things out. It was also fun. They actually got in quite a bit of arguments amongst mm -hmm. themselves. Uh, I think that maybe they had thought we were going to clash a little bit more with them, uh, but it felt like actually uh, James and Nick kind of going at each other a little bit more, which was also fun to see. Good, healthy so. tension all around. Uh, but yes, a great episode. Thank you to the Rational Republicans for the crossover, and hopefully we'll do something again sometime soon. But thanks, everyone, for listening. Please remember to give us a five-star rating if you haven't yet on uh, Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's super helpful for us. We see the numbers climbing um, and we really appreciate it. So please leave a five-star review if you haven't. And remember to hit the subscribe button and we'll be back next week with another, another episode. Thanks. And remember to follow us on Twitter. That's at Oregon Bridge Pod. Uh, all the tweets are fantastic. We have almost 60 followers now. So things are getting real crazy. The Be numbers are huge. Believe me, there's no better Twitter account than the Oregon Bridge. All right. All right enjoy the episode. Thanks yeah. everyone. On this episode of the podcast, we are welcoming the guests of the Oregon Bridge podcast. We have Ben Bowman and Alex Titus with us today. Um, welcome, guys. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to be here. Our first crossover podcast ever. Yeah. So what we're going to yeah, do is this, this will uh, be aired on both our podcast and on the Oregon Bridge podcast. So uh, I think what we'll start out with is just kind of introduce ourselves. Um, I, the listeners are probably familiar with uh, myself and Nick. Uh, the Oregon Bridge podcast are probably familiar with you guys. So we'll just all four introduce ourselves. So um, Alex, why don't you start us off? Great. Yeah. And thanks. Uh, it took us 60 emails to get this <laughs> whole thing scheduled. So I'm glad we finally actually got it on the books. Uh, but yeah, really. Fans of gridlock. Yeah. <laughs> it was Ben's fault why it didn't. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, whoa. Uh, but yeah, really, really excited to be able to do this with you guys. Uh, I'm a native Oregonian, grew up in Westland. Uh, went to Westland High School, attended the University of Oregon, which is actually where I met this guy. Go Ducks. And we were roommates. Go Ducks. Go Ducks. Uh, plenty of political arguments about all sorts of crazy things. I was actually a really hardcore Ron Paul person in college. This is, is true. Uh, anyone who's, you know, the age of 19 to 20, I feel like is. Uh, so we had a lot of really crazy <laughs> arguments about drone strikes, gold standard, all those sort of libertarian <laughs> things. Uh, so we, we checked that box too. And I... Uh, after graduated from college, I ended up working in Washington, D.C. for five years, uh, served in the Trump administration as an advisor for nine months, and also worked for President Trump's super PAC and worked for a couple of other conservative organizations in D.C. Uh, and now I own a technology consulting firm, and I'm excited to be back in Oregon. So 
There's cool. my brief summary. Cool. Ben, you want to go? Sure. Uh, ben Bowman, the token liberal for this evening's uh, proceedings. <laughs> Not if you ask a lot of the Republicans. I think we're pretty liberal. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm pleased to be joined by two colleagues. <laughs> yeah, right. I, will, I will say, I will say, Alex is the lone Trump supporter at this table. Ah. So I mean, just I do, I do enjoy that piece of uh, tonight. But um, I, uh, I serve on the Tiger Twelve School Board as a locally elected official. Um, I am a member of the Democratic Party, lifelong member. Um, I grew up in Oregon as well, went to U of O undergrad, as Titus mentioned, master's degree from Stanford in education policy, and that's what my day job is now. I work in education policy and uh, love talking politics, so I'm pleased to be here with you guys. You ran for state rep this last time State senator. State State senator. State senator. Yeah. Senator Ginny Burdick. In fact, you would have been in uh, one of the house seats within my Senate district. Okay. So you running against Ginny is about as as good a chance as I have. Yes. Yes. Got it. Most people knew the outcome before (laughs) (laughs) all right uh nick nick that is me uh nick perloski so i'm actually i'm ripping a stan pulliam our our own merch shirt right now (laughs) uh what gop gear.us gop gear.us we actually have some really funny shirts on that gop dash gear.us is this this the first stan pulliam for governor shirt in existence i am not sure Talk to him about this. <laughs> There's a very real chance that it is. This is the this could be the very first one. Uh, but now I'm kind of bummed because I took off my Oregon State shirt because I could be the lone lone Beaver fan at the table. Go Ducks! <laughs> Honestly, normally we I don't know how it ends up happening this way, but we generally end up interviewing more Beavers than Ducks, so you end up being outnumbered at this. So now I'm now I'm I'm the you're hey, the token back. liberal. I'm the token Oregon State faner, and he's the tro- token Trump token Trump person. There we go. There we yeah, go. Exactly. a lot of tokens. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of tokens. Um, so I was. Born and raised in Pittsburgh, lived in Texas a number of years, a couple of different spots in the country, uh, also DC for a couple of years. Um, have been in Oregon for the last six and got involved actually with Bud Pierce in the 2016 race and then worked on Newt Bueller's campaign in 2018, which is where I met you, James. And I, we, you came up to me and said, uh, you know, we should keep this conversation going. Your candidate lost, my candidate lost. And I said, well, I have a face for radio. Let's get a podcast started. <laughs> and that's how we got to where we are today. Yeah. Okay. So James Ball, um, I also native Oregonian, grew up in Bend. I uh, went to Corbin University for my undergrad, Oregon for my MBA, five years in active duty on, in the Army, three years with the Oregon National Guard, have been involved with the in politics really just for the past four or five years. Um, basically, since Trump got elected, uh, my he inspired my, you to be involved in, in public in, service in the in the negative sense that I was so <laughs> frustrated that Trump was the direction our party was going that it caused me to get involved in politics. So, uh, mostly involved in the Multnomah County Republican Party, uh, ran for state representative in 2020, and I was saying on the way up here, I was out registered six to one, but I only lost five to one. Not so you know, that's a win. I got, Little victories, I got yeah. some uh, some <laughs> NAV votes. Uh, pretty excited about that, and uh, yeah, Nick and I've been doing this for. Two years, two and a half years now. Has it been that crazy? Wow. Yeah, we time flies when you're having I think we're on episode podcast. fourteen or fifteen, so we got yeah. a ways to go. <laughs> nice, nice. We'll keep it up. It's, no, it gets... I just also have to ask about the shirt because it says oh, yes. Condoleezza. Colin, Clarence, and then Candace. Candace doesn't ask, quite Candace Owens? belong. <laughs> I, well, sure. Okay. <laughs> One of these things is not I, like the other. I, I'm like Colin Powell, or not Colin, Colin Powell. Excuse Colin me. Powell. I'm like yeah. Colin Powell and, Can- and Candace Owens. That's, an, that's an interesting combo. <laughs> I was, yeah. So anyway, I, I figured it was, it was, the point was to highlight black Republicans. You know, I've seen this shirt in a number of different... Um, Except I'm pretty sure Colin Powell's a Democrat now. Not, uh, he definitely didn't vote for Trump. He, yeah, he hasn't he was voted for Republican. I looked, I looked this up. Yeah. He, no, he, he changed his registration in 2021. He was a Republican up until this year. And so I don't know if it was the January 6th or whatever, yeah. but he was a Republican up until this year. However, I don't think that you need to be a Republican to be on this shirt. I think that we can celebrate black excellence regardless of party. As so, long as your name starts with C. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Only C. <laughs> but anyway, I, this is sort of my take on, you know, Democrats seem to think they have the, uh, the, the market cornered on, you know, black excellence. And it's just not the case. You know, there are plenty of black Republicans who have done great things. This is a, a handful of them that I decided to put on a shirt. So if you want your own shirt, viewers, <laughs> viewers and listeners, <laughs> GOP-gear.us. So I think that's enough introduction. Um, one of the things that so we have a couple of things that we were going to talk about on here. Um, let's talk. Why don't you guys just give a little mini bio of your, your podcast? We talked about ourselves. How about the, the podcast and what your kind of thesis is compared to ours? 
So it's fairly similar, but a little bit different. So our, our thesis in Titus, please jump in, um, is essentially that, you know, Tip O'Neill famously said all politics is local. And we think that is less true today than it ever has been since he said it. Um, and that national trends, national people are having a greater influence on local politics and state politics than ever before. And that that's part of what's driving the polarization that we're seeing, the partisanship that we're seeing. Um, and there's some folks, and this is where we might... Um, differ there's some folks who think we need to combat this trend and that the future kevin frazier who you recently had on the podcast we had him on as well that was part of the conversation is some folks are trying to resist this trend and i think alex and i are coming at this in a slightly different way saying the trend is one so let's figure out what that means for our political parties what that means for our discourse and try to build a constructive political culture in this state without trying to pretend that we're going to go back to the political dynamics of the 80s and 90s where moderates of both parties were sort of meeting in the middle that doesn't seem to be like a governable future for our state or country so i think that's that's kind of the thesis did i miss anything titus yeah and part of it too i think is not just the politics but also the media aspect uh and because you have a picture of Stan, Mayor Stan, I'm sure, <laughs> he's a perfect example of this. I mean, there was a, not a full profile, but uh, a pretty significant piece on Mayor Stan in the New York Times because he had uh, refused to abide by Governor Brown's lockdown, which, of course, if you're thinking about this from, from a broader lens, why is the New York Times reporting on the mayor of Sandy of a town with 10,000 people in it and basically the middle of nowhere, Oregon? So part of it, I think, is, is is the media lens of it. I mean, you see this, too, not just on more liberal publications, but also on conservative ones, too, right? I mean, Fox News, Daily Caller, all these sorts of publications, anytime anything is happening in downtown Portland, like, you know, they're hitting on it or they're even sending out people to see what's happening here. And, like, people are becoming outraged basically from across the country of things that are happening that may be related to really local issues. So yeah, Ben and I think that this trend uh, isn't something that can be reversible, at least in sort of the political environment that we're in now and the media environment too. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the basis for us. And we, we just see this as continuing to happen and there's probably no way to stop it. So I think that's a, I think that's a really interesting thesis and it's obviously led to wonderful content and especially, you know, a farther right R and a, I guess, Moderate left, far left. I don't know. Where, where I mean, I, I, I primaried, I primaried the majority leader, so I think I'm a, little, I'm a little left. <laughs> but it, it leads to great content. I feel like for me, I would, I would refer to that as the glass half empty thesis. I'd love to know your thoughts on whether or not you think it's inevitable, whether or not you think there's anything that can be done about it. Is that a good thing that you have the nationalization of all local politics? Yeah, and in some way, it's actually, and this is sort of the second part of our thesis, but that. Issues that happen on a local level that, frankly, no one would have cared about before social media, national news, now blow up and everybody gets to see about them, right? And I mean, this doesn't even need to just be political. I mean, I had friends from all over the country texting me yesterday saying, oh, my gosh, it was so hot in Portland over the last three days. Like, hmm. what's going on over there? This is crazy. And of course, those texts weren't political, but there was a lot of articles about climate change. How is this being impacted? Look at what's happening in the Pacific Northwest, things like that. Uh, so, yeah, I think that it's just because of how much information now people want to consume and that because the media through both the traditional media plus social media in general, like they just want to continuously feed people content and new stuff. And I think that's the easiest way to be able to do it. So uh, until those business models are able to change, or maybe there's kind of a rise in local media, but I don't even really know if that would make a dramatic dent in this because... Uh, Everyone's on Twitter. Everyone's on Facebook. Everyone's on Instagram. And like, that's where a lot of this stuff spreads. Except for Donald Trump. He's not on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, hey, uh, <laughs> but what, what I, what I would say in response is that I actually do think that, um, there's, there's some reason to be optimistic about this trend, which is the thesis isn't that compromise is impossible, but it's that the issues on which we're going to compromise or the way in which we're going to compromise look different now. So economic populism is on the rise in both parties. Mm -hmm. Some people think that's bad. Um, but someone like me, I guarantee it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> some people like me who think corporations and wealthy people should pay a little bit more and the government should spend more money on building things, um, actually stand to see public policy benefits based on the new dynamic. So that's one of the interesting crossover pieces is like Alex and I obviously disagree on a lot, but, um, there's some broader sort of economic populist pieces of the equation where I think there is room for collaboration. Um, although Y'all might be on the outside looking well, in on those. I think my my point is not is not so much that it's not happening. I think it's very clear that this is happening, at least to in my my perspective. Uh, my issue is I don't think it's a good thing. I think if you look outside the window right now, you will see 
homeless people and they are you know we're out in the heat this past weekend in 115 people died it just 45 people died um there is a instagram (laughs) instagram account that just started out that's called uh portland looks like we were just need to have on the car right here on the podcast it's it's yeah i don't know who runs it but um portland looks like and they have like 40,000 followers. They have like 40,000 followers. Yeah. It's uh, so now that I said that, I have to click the explicit content on the podcast. <laughs> so apologies. R rated rational Republican. But I love it. <laughs> this is something that is a local issue that can be fixed by Ted Wheeler and the Democrats in City Hall. How? And they simply do not. How would you fix homelessness? Uh, you provide services, and then you sure. are firm with the people who decline the services. You sound very much like my friend Stan Pulliam, uh, who basically <laughs> made the same line. And I mean, what, it's it's not it's not easy, but it is simple. You you provide I, the so I disagree. Services. I, I disagree that it's easy, and I disagree that it's simple. And my main reason is, is this is and this is what I said to the mayor is like he he had the same sort of you know provide resources, be firm when they won't, etc. Mm-hmm. That does not solve for any of the front end upstream issues of why people become homeless. Like that's all for the people who are homeless then, but you're, you're basically creating a system where we just have to spend millions of dollars once people become so, in this terrible situation to provide services and resources. Et I would say part of the services is mental health counseling and addiction services, because if you walk around town, that is the primary 100%. problem. It's, yeah. I mean, we can, we can talk about affordable housing, but I don't believe that affordable housing is what's causing homelessness like that. That is a problem, but I think it's a separate problem from homelessness. Homelessness is primarily drug addiction and mental health. And so you, if you provide, housing transitional housing with those services i think you'll go a long way to helping the people and you can clean up the streets because a lot of a lot of people with mental health issues or with addiction uh, will decline services because either they are not mentally capable of helping themselves or they just they're they're comfortable enough living in a tent and shooting up heroin that they don't they know that if they go to the shelter they're gonna have to be clean and sober and so you, there, there are ways to do it. And like I said, it's, it's not going to be easy. You have to find all these people. You have to get everybody into these, into these, um, is transitional you have housing. You spend a ton of money. You do have to spend a ton of money, but we're already spending a ton of money. I mean, the amount, just the healthcare and the police and the 45 people who died this weekend from heat exposure is, uh, is unacceptable. And I think if you actually do the math, which I haven't, but other people have, it's actually cheaper to take care of these people mm-hmm. than For just sure. allow them to use our emergency services. And I think I honestly, I all due respect, but I think you're begging the question that you can get to a, a number of zero of homeless population. Population. I think there's always going to be some amount of yep. individuals with mental health issues, individuals with substance abuse issues, individuals with you know PTSD type symptoms. And I think while it's very important to have the, the mental health care, the services to address those and to get individuals from that state into a, a place where they can be hopefully working and hopefully contributing, hopefully be able to, to be self-sustaining, you're never going to solve the, the input. You're never going to get that throughput down to zero to the start of that pipeline. So it, I, I'm... I'm with you. I'd lo- obviously love to see fewer people. I'd love to see the government that is effective enough and intelligent enough to be able to solve that problem as best it can. But for now, the problem for me is the middle where we have a very clearly defined problem. And I- I'd rather look at the problem that's in front of me and look at the look at the larger problem once we get a handle on this. I'd rather solve the problem, <laughs> but I, but I see what you're saying and I don't well, you just have to take steps in the right direction. You yeah. Can't, you can't agreed. just say the no, perfect sure. solution and anything short of the perfect solution is not. No, yeah. And I, and I totally agree. You know? And I actually think that's what, um, I haven't been tracking it super closely. Maybe you all have, or maybe you have Titus, but, um, there's, you know, the, the housing bond, um, they're mm. kind of, they're, they're charting out how they're going to spend those dollars in with Multnomah County and city of Portland and Metro. Um, and I think they're, broadly going in a similar direction which is building sites where um you can actually send homeless folks because that's part of this is what one of the things titus and i was talking about is there's the the court case recently that basically says the folks Boise. yeah folks have the a Boise. right to sleep uh where they are unless you provide them an alternative and that's the key piece is what's the alternative um yeah. so yeah i think like I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I can think my point more broadly is like there's a reason why people are becoming homeless. I do think affordable housing is part of it. I don't think it's driving it. I think addiction and mental health is. But like if you're an addict in recovery, like and you're, you know, how much money do you think you're going to make in a job after you've you know been homeless for a couple of years? You're going to start at the bottom end of the of the threshold and 
where are you going to live in Portland? I mean, what, like there, there's a lot of structural issues that make this super hard to solve. And I don't think like more shelter beds is going to actually solve See, the problem. And I feel like you just hit the nail on the head. There are literal structural issues. There's stuff that comes up all the time and you get somebody in the Pearl District and they get their condo association together and they say, we can't have a new apartment complex here because it will obstruct yeah. my view of the Fremont Bridge. And I really like and it is. Don't get me wrong. It's a very pretty bridge. I would want that view as well. And that is, to some extent, going to affect the resale value when you go to get out of that condo. But at the same but time... But we should agree that that problem is way more important to solve than... But the, well, and that's yeah. exactly Let's talk right. about the urban yeah. growth boundary. Let's talk about the urban growth boundary. Say, yeah, that's better. the other thing that is prevent that is keeping rates too high. I mean, and this is this is kind of me coming from at it from a, from a conservative standpoint, is you get rid of these governmental provided barriers and you can have affordable housing just through marketplace through supply and demand but when you artificially constrain a city with an urban growth boundary and you artificially constrain it with red tape and views of the fremont bridge and etc cetera, etc cetera, uh, you, you're going to end up with not enough supply and too much demand I will say, as someone who uh, drove down to Sacramento for a wedding this summer, I'm very grateful for the urban growth boundary. <laughs> Hot take. I mean, Hot take. First time somebody said so, that on these mics. <laughs> I mean, so that's actually a good point. Um, I was listening to uh, a podcast with Dan Crenshaw, and one of the things that Which he- Which one? Uh, the Joe Rogan. Okay. Joe Rogan. Yeah. 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 Oh, nice. So one of, the, one of the things he said really struck, struck me. He says, legislation is not about- you, Legislation does not solve problems. It's a trade-off. Every legislation is a trade-off. And so when you look at something like mm. the urban growth boundary, yeah, you get the benefits of you drive 45 minutes outside of the city and you don't have just urban sprawl. sprawl. Yeah. But mm. on the flip side, you have artificially increased rents and lower supply, housing supply because you have to cram everything in. So it's it's a trade-off. I mean, you, you, can, you can be pro or against, but just as long as we recognize that when you say, I like the urban growth boundary, what you're also saying is, we're, we're accepting the uh, the the consequence of inflated housing prices. Well, maybe we can all just agree that um, we need to prevent Californians from moving to Oregon. <laughs> here, that here, build the wall, build the wall. So I, I I'll take that chance to to kind of dive into James and my thesis because mm. I um in a way I feel like it's a little bit the exact opposite of what you guys said. <laughs> uh, like I at least personally feel that. The only way Republicans are ever really going to have a shot here in Oregon to especially to win some statewide races is to to be able to, for all intents and purposes, forget about the R label by their name and to remove any connotations that it's got, especially these days with national stuff when Donald Trump was president and all the any kind of negative connotations that came along there. But if you can look at Stan Pulliam and say, here's a person who wants to do this, this, and this, and I like some of those things and I dislike some of those things. Here's the demo. He's going to run against, pick your favorite, Tina Kotek or Tobias, Tobias Reed or who, yeah, yeah, whoever you want. list on our side. And <laughs> like, okay, let's actually look at the ideas that they're both espousing and let's look at the experience that they've got and let's look at who actually could sit in Mahonia Hall and really make the decisions that are going to drive this state forward and pick up where we're down below and, you know, can have us continue to accelerate in the areas that we're already accelerating. And I I cannot imagine a world where Republicans can win here in the state of Oregon if we keep getting asked about Donald Trump or we keep getting asked about Kevin McCarthy or we keep getting asked about Nancy Pelosi. And in my view, there is a world in which we at the state level can look at somebody and say, that's a really good person who should win elected office regardless of whether he's got an R or a D by his name. I got to bring in Titus. Yeah, I was going to say my my pushback to that is maybe that even is the best answer, but why would Democrats ever let us do that? Uh, And the perfect example here is Newt, who I was uh, very supportive of when he ran for governor and I wish he would be governor right now. But uh, no one actually thought Newt Bueller was going to like undo Oregon's abortion law or anything like that. But of course... He still was attacked numerously. And I mean, you can even go back and find the old mailer saying Newt Bueller aligns with Donald Trump's abortion policies, which is some of the most blatant politicalism ever. Obviously, that isn't true to any extent. I don't know. When he ran for Congress, he uh, sounded a little different. <laughs> well, I think he was still Trump, consistent yeah. on the abortion issue. But uh, I will say how you frame stuff. You like, say yeah. not anybody was was believing that. 
I anecdotally, I talked to several friends who were D's who were like, I really like this guy and he seems really sharp and he seems really personable. And I, you know, I brought him out to their events, but they were like, I just don't know if he's going to keep Roe intact. And I just, I just want to make sure that that's there. And so Kate Brown's or the SEIU or whoever it was, was putting those ads on, putting those mailers out. They were at least effective to for to sure. Three different people that well, I talked to. Well, and if you no, care- no, no, I agree. That's exactly what I'm saying is they, Democrats will want to keep nationalizing things because they don't actually have to run on issues that way. They can just say, Donald Trump, super scaries. Don't vote for the guy with the same party next to his name. And then that's basically how they can continue to win elections. Well, but also, so so this gets to something that I think you should weigh in on, Titus, which is like, if I'm a progressive voter or even like a left of center voter or even someone who cares about choice as an issue, there's no world in which Newt Beeler is a more appealing option to me than Kate Brown, regardless of Newt's position on abortion. So that begs the question to me, Tice, and I really do want to get into this. Do you actually think Republicans can win in Oregon statewide as someone who supports Donald Trump? And if so, <laughs> what is that pathway? It yeah, I raises think, the question. Yeah, I think, I think if you're running on the statewide level, you have to support Donald Trump. Uh, and your your level of support can vary. Like, for example, I think Stan is a Trump supporter. Now, do I think on every single mailer he's going to send to every voter, is he going to say... Stan Pulliam stands with Donald Trump in 2024, 2028, 2032. Probably (laughs) not. Don Jr. in 2032. (laughs) Exactly. But I mean, to make it past the primary uh, and to make sure that you're keeping on with your base, I think at this point you have to hold some of those conservative positions. And I think Trump is probably the most important one, at least to this point. Maybe that won't be the same case in two years. Uh, maybe it will be some different issue. Maybe he'll just retire. He won't engage in politics anymore. Uh, probably we can, we can only, we can only hope. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> so I feel like this is I feel like this is a fun trifecta because I actually disagree with both of you guys on this. <laughs> I'd say, uh, Ben, you're absolutely right that if you are a, a progressive liberal, you know, socialist gun steal, I know whatever words Republicans would want to call yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely never going to vote for Newt. I think you're never going to vote for any Republican. Right, never going to vote for any Republican. I think if you are center left, I think if you are centrist, moderate, independent, and are a registered Democrat, but actually are looking at the two and kind of weighing both of them, you could look at them. And I, I mean, I talked to a lot of Democrats who did not like Kate Brown, and they and yet for Newt, Newt lost, Monica Webby lost, Bud Pierce lost. Like the moderates on your side have a horrible track record of actually winning over the last ten years. Well, everybody on our side has a horrible track record. But, but this is my point. Is Joe, Joe Ray yeah. Perkins came closer to beating Jeff Merkley than Monica Webby. Now it was a fraction of a percent, but that's it. That is well, wild. That a, is wild. There was yeah, a constitution. A, there was a constitution candidate in that race. And I think that threw a slate wrench in those gears. Of the but we're talking there. about a point or two. And B, Monica Webby was an extremely bad candidate. She obviously she had a ton of issues. And even well, even now, the people that know her are just like, she was, like uh, the t- she was the top tier recruit. They spent millions and millions of dollars. The, I mean, John, John McCain came out. John McCain here, came yeah. out. Donald was stumping for her. And she turned out. Out to be a really bad as soon as she got the nomination she what what was it that she ended up so she had some really huge oh, it, was the stock, it was the stocking thing there she you showed go, up yeah. to a ex-boyfriend's house i think and the police were called or something and it was a big know. donor in it Oregon. was andrew miller it was andrew miller some guy. really crazy Jeez. thing and it's like that like i'm sorry i, I don't care which politics are yeah. right, right left or center that's she was just a bad candidate what I, about I, newt what's the newt thesis because i i mean he wrote scholar state representative like he sort of checked the boxes you'd expect to have a like a competitive race but really is yeah. the same margin as the secretary of state loss and he was he would have been a fantastic governor newt's thing was i i will offer one criticism of newt and that i think is he is not backslappy enough he is not the Retail. guy that you'd want to get a beer with. He's not the guy that you want to talk about the, the ducks game with. He's too much of a surgeon. He's yeah. Yeah, and like, even like, I, so I, and Sorry, I, dude, I love you, buddy. I, I, yeah, I, I worked for him. I was in the office and, you know, a really nasty op-ed or a really nasty ad would come out and he would come in and would just be very analytical and would very, I literally surgical in the way he talked about yeah. it. And instead of just saying like, Hey man, these guys are nuts. Like we got to do something like that's, you know, you want, you want a little, a little Trumpy, a little Trumpiness. No, but I'll also say that Monica Webby ran in 2014, which is a fantastically good year for Republicans. Uh, Dennis Richardson won in, in 2014, which is a fantastically good year for Republicans. Was it 14? 
No, yeah. he won in 16. Uh, he 16. Lo- I'm sorry. Yeah, he he ran in 2014 and lost. He won in 2016. Oh, he governor. He ran for governor in 14. Governor, governor, yeah. And then 16. Okay. Yeah. For- and Newt also ran in 2018, which is a fantastically good year for Democrats in blue states. This was their first chance to run a against donald trump and you saw democrats turn out in droves you saw the turnout was unlike anything anybody's ever seen that seems to support our thesis alex doesn't it <laughs> like the part is we're, we're not that, disagreeing with your not, thesis yeah. I, I disagree well, that it's I, a good I, thing I'll, i i will disagree with the thesis but I, I will say that in the in the era of to your point democrats being able to say donald trump is bad vote for us and newt howling at the wind and saying like I want to fix your roads in your schools <laughs> and Kate but what not about Trump? anything about that. And like, we're still 47th in the country in education or whatever. And Kate, all Kate Brown has to do is just be like, uh, Donald Trump. And she got, uh, she, uh, the race actually was a lot closer in the last two weeks. She had a ton of like, get out the vote stuff and a ton of money gets spent or whatever. And she really like pulled out neck and neck. And I will say she like Newt lost by the same six points that Dennis lost by in 2014. Mm-hmm. So I don't, if people didn't remember him from his statewide run for secretary of state in 2012, I think it was, he had the chance to build up the name recognition. I, he would have been a shoe in for the seat in Congress if it wasn't for Jimmy Crumpacker and all the goofy <laughs> money in the ORT. What was the Crumpacker rhyme? It was like, Crump backer. Oh, Trump backer. <laughs> Crump backer. Trump backer. Trump backer. Yeah. That, was, that was a great ad. Right? <laughs> I do. I do think the Dennis Richardson case um, is really interesting because so he was he was the perfect person to be a sort of Democratic boogeyman. Right. He'd said some really out there things on LGBT issues. He's very far to the right. He absolutely. But was. when he ran for secretary of state, he was bas- his case was basically like, forget about that. I'm running for secretary of state to be a good mm-hmm. secretary of state. I'm going to focus on audits and elections and business services and corruption. And cor- that's what yeah. I'm running on. And there were c- certainly some issues on the left that we could get into. But I mean, I actually think that the that that is that would be a good counterpoint to our thesis, which is well, like Dennis Richardson you. one. We, we yeah. had um, <laughs> Suzanne Weber on the podcast as well. You know, so uh, state representative from Tillamook area. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that she really pushed in her podcast. If you guys haven't listened to it. Listeners, viewer, um, listen Check to it that out. one. It's, it's, <laughs> pretty, it's a pretty yeah. good one. And even her campaign manager said he didn't know that she was a Republican until they started working together and tried to get her into the legislature. She was a uh, school teacher, school board, mayor of Tillamook, uh, just super involved in the community and focused on issues of the local issues yeah. and did not put herself out there as a Republican except by the, the R by her name and ended up uh, taking that seat from the Democrats from you guys so it would um, be interesting to see too what her like the national level they've got all this reporting on like you know votes with nancy pelosi x percent of the time it would be interesting mm-hmm. to see how aligned she was with um representative drazen's caucus versus the democratic because i bet i actually bet she probably has a relatively bipartisan voting record although i don't actually know yeah i don't know but i mean that's that's kind of in contrary to your point i think that's how a republican wins statewide that's how republican wins wins a, a state representative state senate seat is by not focusing on the republican brand you focus on the local issues and being involved in the community and uh, I mean, maybe the you're swimming upstream with the everything being nationalized, which I agree, that's what's happening. But in Oregon, where Democrats have a significant uh, registration advantage, I think the way that you get Democrats and moderates to vote for a Republican is to not not align themselves with the Republican brand. And that's kind of I, that that's kind of what we're trying to do here is you know, we're, we're not Trump guys. Like I said, the reason I got into politics is because I was frustrated with with the Trump Republicanism and the national brand. I hate the national brand. I want to just talk about, you know, fixing the roads and getting kids graduated from school. Fires. And There's fires, fires going on already. And Are you guys do you align with like um, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinsinger like that? In what way? Yes. Like like when you look at, you know, you obviously don't like the national brand of the Republican Party. Who can blame you? Uh, <laughs> are there are there figures where you are like, these are the people who should be in charge. These are the people who should be leading. Well, Dan Crenshaw, you know, okay. love that guy. He's kind of a culture um, war. He's a Trump guy, right? He is yeah. very he's conservative. A, he's, a, he's a Trump guy. But again, <laughs> I, I think that we're, we are the rational Republican for a reason, because so many of these I, I, I don't want to speak badly of anyone in particular, but. So many of these people are there, there's two axes, I think. There's the there's the left, right, conservative, liberal, whatever. And that's like how much government do you want in your life? 
And then there's also the crazy, not crazy. <laughs> and the two, the two are distinct. The two are distinct. Yes. You can be very conservative yeah. and also not crazy. Mitt you, Romney's a good example. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the old so, Mitt Romney. <laughs> I, I, honestly, go go pull up his DW nominate. Go look at the way he votes. He's still very, very conservative. Sure. But people like wasn't he you the deport get, yourself? Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He got heckled okay. on a plane by Trump supporters. Like, you're not one of you're not supporting. It's like he does everything you want. Come on, guys. <laughs> and I mean, I think Liz Cheney's in that same boat. We're very conservative, but also not a Trump fan. Um, I think, I, again, we focus more on on local statewide sure, politics. So I, I'm not as read up on Liz Cheney's voting record. I couldn't tell you off the top she's, of my head. But she's, what, a, she's much more conservative than Elise which uh, is Stefanik who just got elected as Right. So that, and that's what I'm saying. There's, there's, two, there's two spectrums here. There's conservative liberal and then there's also crazy not crazy. And I think we, there's the, the, maybe, the, maybe there's, you I, get into the, the depth of, of like Trump support versus not Trump support. Like there's, these are all separate from each other. See though, I think what, what Trump did is he sort of upended uh, those definitions in general, because yeah. one of the things that I, if you're a Trump supporter, you're conservative, if you're not Trump supporter, you're, yes. you're liberal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but the, the definitions of those have changed dramatically since 2016. And I'll, I'll give you the example of that. As I remember during the Republican debate, the, uh, 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 hosts went around and said, all right, who's going to cut Social Security and Medicare? And everybody raised their hand except for Donald Trump. He was the only oh, candidate yeah, that's who would right. say, Fascinating. there's going to be no cuts to Social Security, there's going to be no cuts to Medicare under my watch. And turns out, Conservative Inc. in D.C. went bananas. Like, this guy defends entitlements, he supports blah, 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 blah. But like, voters literally didn't care because all those sort of like traditional Conservative Inc. issues we're actually really just like donor funded issues. Uh, voters care a lot about trade. They care a lot about border protection. They clearly care a lot about cultural issues too, uh, which I actually think should maybe turn into a little bit of discussion too, but like sort of what your guys' views on like something like big tech are, uh, because we talked a little bit about the homelessness issue earlier. And Ben, you talked about saying, okay, where's the money going to come from? Uh, and I actually think something that would be really interesting yeah. is if Josh Hawley was an elected official right now, and he said, oh, yeah, Ben, you know where the money's going to come from? We're going to tax Google and we're going to make Google pay for it. You would probably say, yeah, yeah. let's do it. And, and there's a bunch. And I think that's where the Democratic Party is. But you all would disagree with that. Like increasing taxes on corporations is still bad news for you. So, so let, let me not tell at you. all. OK. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the rational Republicans disagree. Um, <laughs> we actually kind of do it like people always good, email yeah. us and they're um, just like, you guys are too much. Like I was corp- like, mm. corporations don't pay tax. Their, con- their customers do. Any any tax you levy on a business is passed right along to their customers. That's not always true. It's it's mostly true. I mean, they can, but then but but then consumers can have a choice. If it's if it's if it's across the board, um, if you if you raise every if you raise the corporate income tax on every corporation in in an industry, how would how would Facebook all, how would Facebook pass on the tax to consumers? Sell well, more of your information okay. <laughs> and come into okay, your house. Point. <laughs> like your kids' fair information, point. we're getting that now. <laughs> this is your routing number, right? <laughs> fair point. So okay. I, I, I will say I was a um, – I'm sorry. I just kind of left you. No, go ahead. I was a, a fan point. of the Trump tax cuts in 2017 when we lowered the corporate tax rates from – 25 or 30% to the 19% I think they got down to. 35 to 21. 35 to 21. Yeah. And that makes us – far more in line with where the rest of the world is. And I think that's overall, that's a good thing. You stop seeing all these Burger King gets bought by a, a VC firm in Ireland. And now Burger King is an Irish company. So they don't have to pay. like, you stop. Is that seeing, true? Is that true? Is yeah, that, just, like, it is, that yeah. actually happened. Yeah. That's wow. a real thing that happened. And like you, that happens several times with like well-known American companies that it's just like, Oh, reverse mergers. Yeah. Now yeah. Papa John's is an English company. Like, We'll have our, you know, jalapeno popper with Guinness tonight, I suppose. <laughs> and, like, you stop seeing goofy stuff like that because at the end of the day, like, you, you have to look at who you are and look at what your competition is. If Ford and Chevy and Toyota all charge $25,000 for a truck and Nissan comes out and charges $70,000 for a truck, Nissan is no longer competitive. And we, as America, with 35% tax rates, were no longer competitive. The flip side of that is I will give every marginal dollar that I have to the government in the form of taxes if I believe they are more effective with it than I will be. If they can increase my utility 
via better roads, via better public education, via fewer homeless people on the streets, via a better support system so you don't have homeless people on the streets in the first place like we were talking about earlier. If that matters more to me than an extra dollar spent on my wife and I's Europe vacation coming up in a couple of weeks. That's an or, important vacation. That's what well, it is. Like it's, it's been three years and I haven't taken the woman on a honeymoon yet. So it's like, her patience is starting to I'm wear in the a same boat. Thin. It's only been six months, but I'm in big trouble. So. Yeah, right. So it's just like Madeline's like, yeah, you want to catch that flight now? So, but all that said, I would have one fewer tapas plate in the south of Spain when we go to Europe this summer if Ted Wheeler can actually keep fewer homeless people on the streets. The problem is, it's not what the level of taxes are. The problem is conservatives, I think, very oftentimes, very rightly, point out the fact that the government doesn't do that. They don't take that extra dollar that I give them in the form of higher taxes and spend it better than I would, or I, I should say spend it in a more effective manner than I would. They take it and it goes to some goofy, crazy thing. And I say, look, I, I, yeah, I want to see fewer homeless people. Yeah, I want to see fewer potholes in the roads. But also, I want to save for my retirement. I want to go play poker with Jimbo and take all his money again. I want to have resources to do all of these things. And yeah, right, you see how I just worked that in there, just kind of kept rolling, not giving him a chance to respond. Um, but I, I, I would be more than happy to give any extra dollar that I have to the government if I think they can spend it better than me. The problem is they don't. And this is what this is one of the things I like to argue about on this podcast is that I don't care what the size of government is. I care about what the effectiveness of government is. Interesting. Um, <laughs> I, I, th I think we're just going to get to a philosophical place. Like, I, I, I think it's an. Well, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, Phil sure. Yeah. Having well, philosophical differences to me, it's yeah. like the, the ancient myth of like there's so much waste, fraud and abuse in government. And if we could just get rid of the waste, fraud and abuse. Oh, my gosh. We, our programs will be so it's like. You know, like, so I'm on the board of a school, a uh, school district, yeah. like almost all of our money goes to people. We're paying for teachers and administrators and like, you know, like, I don't, I don't know if you followed the student success act at all, a little um, bit, yeah. but like they raise taxes on corporations. This was a very controversial the thing. Backdoor mm -hmm. M97 thing. You kind of is a cat tax, corporate activity yeah. tax. Um, so yeah, certainly some industries had a case to make about why it was harder for them than other industries, et cetera. But like. There's no waste, fraud and abuse in that. Like you can pick out very specific instances, but by and large, schools are using that money to pay for nurses and mental health professionals and getting rid of what like we did pay to play fees. So more kids can play sports and access extracurricular activities. Like I just don't see this. Like I agree. Like we are aligned in terms of maybe we can just agree that the city of Portland is a mess. <laughs> on that, on that, we very much agree. And we can work together on so that. I, two points I'd love your opinion on specifically about that. The first is, I think a lot of that money, I think you're right, it, it goes to a lot of good places, but also it goes to a lot of PERS overhead costs. And I think... We already, we already did this. PERS, as, <laughs> being, did the PERS as, thing. as messy as it is, I think there's a lot of problem, problems there. The second thing is, I you were talking about big corporations like needing to pay more taxes and needing to pay their... You haven't used the words fair share yet, but I like uh, <laughs> that's fair. I'll, I'll, you, can, you can attach it to me. I'll Same own it. But, I'll say it. I got to pay their of, fair share. A lot of people on the left will. Yeah. Uh, you know who got exempted from that is Nike, Nike. and Intel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those that was that was bad. That's the yeah, <laughs> biggest companies we've got. But it's uh, of course it's Democrats in Salem that let those guys get away with it because of course all the Nike money and all the Intel money goes back into helping reelect Democrats. And how? Probably it, it, a lot of their voters to, you know, get the six figure salaries at those companies. So that's actually something <laughs> I like. Julia to see Rim the Edwards GOP. is a Nike, uh, Nike executive. She's top tier candidate. For I mean, that's what I actually like to see the GOP attack Wait, so more. This is, this is really interesting because like, Nick, you're like kind of aligned with what I think Titus would say. Which oh, is no, like, well, actually, yeah. I mean, I was agreeing with a lot of the stuff that Nick was saying earlier. Uh, is that, <laughs> I, I think Trump 2024, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Rational Republican. Nick is on the advisory board already. It's crazy. <laughs> if he takes my call, Donald Trump is on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that the GOP has become obsessed with this like generic free market orthodoxy of just yell the words free markets and limited government, which don't actually mean anything. And, and lower taxes, that, right? And, and, and lower taxes yeah. to some extent. And I think that especially on the organ level, that's really unappealing to a lot of those unaffiliated voters. And I mean, Nick, you're totally right. Is that all that is, is a bailout for a majority wealthy, white, suburban, democratic voters. Like that, that carve out, that's all that I see what that is. I imagine that 
the vast majority of workers for both those organizations are voting for Democrats, and they're literally bailing out their brunch crowd voters because let me, of that. Let me let me devil's advocate. I don't actually think this is what I believe, but what they say is cool. You want to you want to have Nike and Intel included? We're going to lay off thousands of employees because we just can't afford your big taxes, Salem. You, the, you call their bluff? You say, you know what? No, I, you're making I, billions of dollars. We're going to tax you. I think what's more likely is we're going to spend half a million dollars on campaigns fighting this unless you give us a car ride. <laughs> Fair. That, that's, I think right. that's much more likely it is. We're, like, we're going to fight this tooth and nail unless you give us a carve out. And so they carve it out. I, I think there's, there's the, the grocery association also got a carve out. Um, did they? So they were. They they tried to fight it. I think. Weren't they? Did yeah. they? For stu- I, so, so yeah. So you're like one, one of the iterations of it. I thought they had. They were carved out. Um, maybe Pete. Yeah, grocery. it's complex. Anyway. They they did a little piece of it. But that is in, that actually is a really good analysis. Like the, the people people who have good lobbyists and can spend a lot of money on campaigns can like avoid the drama of a you know multi million dollar ballot measure fight and just say, listen, we're not going to spend a bunch of money to kill your thing, but just, just take us just out. Just take of us thing. out of it. I. I guarantee that's what happens. Yeah. So I'll let me just for a brief second, just to appease any hardcore right people that are actually still listening. <laughs> I don't think they are. I think, I think I did asked, you have I many think, of those? I think I just them those years all ago. off. Yeah. But this is exactly the problem with Oregon is there are exactly two major large corporations that are here. And I, I grew up in Texas. I, my dad still lives in Texas. So I get back once a year. I very often in my head do a, a compare and contrast Oregon versus Texas. And every time I go home to see my dad, Tesla is there. Facebook is moving there. Amazon just built HQ2 there. We don't, I mean, can you guys name any large company that's moved from somewhere else to Oregon? Can you guys name any startup that's IPO'd based here in Oregon? Dutch like, Brothers is about to IPO. Yeah, I was, I was that's, say, yeah. Dutch Brothers is <laughs> really awesome. Dutch the Brothers first is one, only the first one in like 20 years, in, though. It yeah. literally is yeah. like decades. It's a, been a decades-long period of time. And if you don't have pro-business, pro-growth, pro-economic policies, which the state of Oregon does not. I mean, I very briefly was on Rick Perry's staff when I lived in Texas. Rick Perry put up ads out in billboards in Chicago and Los Angeles just like, hey, like, do you hate paying the taxes here? Mm -hmm. Like, I would too. Come to Texas. And then they would. Yeah, so your kids are going to get taught creationism in school, but the business Mm -hmm. environment is so good. (laughs) But now you have fewer money that you're spending in taxes, so you can go hire a tutor and like (laughs) the system keeps on track. But I mean, but seriously, like it's, it's my brother's in Dallas. It's once a week. I just sent him an alert yesterday. Goldman Sachs is going to make their new headquarters in Dallas. They're going to get out of New York. They're going to get to Dallas. Like once a week, there's Do a they, major company moving to Dallas. They've, Actually, had a, they've had a pretty big office there for a while. It, but. it has been a big office, but like that's officially kind of like where they're going to make their Yeah, footprint. but I mean, no, to your broader point, I've actually wanted to do a podcast on Seattle, lots of big companies. San Francisco, lots of big tech companies. Portland, not really a tech scene. Like, why are we sort of the only ones missing on the West? Like, what is going on there, basically? But I mean, going to your broader point, like, I'm not anti-business by any means. I mean, but I think that the carve-outs are ridiculous, especially as everybody else is getting the tax yeah. increase. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it'd be better to just cut well, it so, across so- the board, basically, or get rid of some of those regulations and red tape. That's causing companies to be able to come anyway, because I mean, and there is Democratic states that have really good business environments that I would say are still run by pretty progressive people. So, yeah, I think Oregon is just frankly missing the mark on this compared to even most blue states. Pennsylvania, I think, is a good example. I'm from Pittsburgh, which has a blue mayor. The state has a blue governor and has for uh, at least, I think, six years, eight years now. Um, But they're every company in their uncle is moving to pittsburgh right now uber has a startup there facebook google duolingo i went to carnegie mellon that's they came out of carnegie mellon they're like we're gonna stick around here and like you can be a blue state that is pro-business i I think to your point but oregon is not and i'll also i think you just gave the signal we're starting to start to wrap up i just want to ask did we spend most of this podcast talking about oregon stuff or did we spend most of this podcast talking about national stuff Ooh, somebody's thesis just won. <laughs> well, I think it's like saying it both. that's like going yeah, to a city council in. meeting and being like, "Did we spend more time?" <laughs> All right. Well, with that, um, one of the things we like to do when we finish up an episode is ask our guests who their favorite Republican is. So uh, I don't know. One of you guys want to go first? Take a stab at this. Ben, I, I want to hear your. I already favorite. know. It, it, it better be Alex Titus, uh, <laughs> or maybe the rational say, Republicans. Alex Titus, if you look over his notepad, has written Donald Trump in really big letters. <laughs> Uh, but for me, it actually is very easy. Um, my favorite Republican is also my favorite Oregonian of all time, and it's Tom McCall, hmm. who I imagine nice. you've heard before on this podcast. But 
I will also note that uh, Tom McCall, before he passed, uh, left the Republican Party because of what he saw as, so I think, similar to the dynamic uh, today with Trump is uh, he's, the party left him. But he was Republican during his governorship. And I feel like if you are if you don't like the way the party's going, that's why a more reason to be involved rather than to. I was going to ask you all, actually, why didn't why didn't Trump drive you to leave and say, I'm done like a lot of folks? Because if if we leave, there's there's no one else to the only people that are left are are the people who like Titus pushing this in the wrong direction. <laughs> so, I feel like that's also the glass half empty thesis. I did. Do you guys watch West Wing? I'm Love West Wing. My man. It, it, it got bad in the later seasons. But <laughs> the first season was fantastic. President Santos. So season yeah, two. I, I was like, what the Jimmy hell is Jimmy Smith as president was like, oh, my have God. you seen In the Heights yet? Absolutely, Jimmy oh Smith with the voice. Jimmy Smith, sing to me, sing to me, Jimmy Smith. But I, there was a line, Bingo Bob, actually, as vice president in the West Wing says, if you're a, you're a baseball coach and you see two players and you see them get to first base, run from home plate to first base in the same amount of time, and one looks beautiful and has perfect form, and one is flailing around, or whatever, who do you want to coach? So, of course, you want to coach the guy who's flailing right. because that's they the one better. You, yeah, that's one you can improve. That's one you can make exceed. That's one you can get there in an even quicker time so you're saying there's lots of flailing in the republican party today. i would say if flailing is the only adjective used, just we got off scot-free on this episode there are so many more worse adjectives but the democratic party i think time and time again in the state of oregon offers flawed candidates and a poor vision and has very little results to actually show for winning all the elections that they do whereas republicans yeah, we don't win a lot. But we're scrappy, man. We field good candidates. <laughs> Joe Ray for Perkins. Every time. And, uh, yeah, right. I, she didn't win anything. Yeah, I would say more like Christine Drazen. Yeah, you know. this time she will win. Leader Drazen. <laughs> I see it. Like Stan can make a run for it. Bud Pierce can make a run for it. Whoever gets the nomination, I think there's a lot of good opportunity. And once that actually takes place, if we actually get a good Republican party or at least several good Republican candidates here in Oregon. We can have some absolutely amazing public policy in what is an already absolutely amazing state. And wouldn't that be an amazing win? Titus, your response? <laughs> yeah, I also, I also realized, I thought that you said West World. Also a good West, show. I was like, <laughs> Vice President. When, when, Wait, when no, that I don't remember that plot Vice line. President is I was a like, robot. This is the robots and the cowboys. <laughs> yeah. uh, that makes a lot more sense now. So, uh, I, well, I always hate naming living politicians. I think that's cheating. And generally, you don't know someone's full legacy, of course, until they pass away. But my favorite Republican is President uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And mm, I would nice. say... Anyone who has not read about Roosevelt needs to read some. There's so many good biographies about him out there. Go read something. Uh, one, the man is absolutely insane. Like he is, <laughs> yeah. he's just crazy, and not even crazy in a way of like this guy's a loony. I don't want him anywhere near me. But just the stuff he did in his life, he was, was nonstop. He was like, he was no, like in terms of high energy, there literally is no one that is more high energy than than President Roosevelt was. Uh, and he was such a dramatic leader, both for the Republican Party, but I also think he has such a strong influence on the GOP today, uh, especially with a lot of the folks in D.C. who I think are leaning and sort of finding out what that post-Trumpism looks like. So uh, he's my favorite Republican president. Uh, so yeah, I'll leave it at that. We know a number of folks who very highly value the man in the arena speech, mm -hmm. as I, everybody yeah. who's involved in I politics have should. have a wooden and, plaque on my wall with that mm -hmm. speech. And that's yeah. I, Teddy Roosevelt. If that's his greatest legacy, and obviously there are legion legacies that Teddy Roosevelt has left us, but man in the arena, listeners, viewers, if you haven't read it yet, go find a copy. Yep. Well, gentlemen, that's about the end of it. Thank you so much for coming over and doing this with us. And uh, I guess to, to your viewers as well, have a, have a good one. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, guys.